This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. But whoever rejects the sun will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Very strong words here by John the Baptist. He says here again, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects, notice that, free will is a gift from God. The Bible says God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's the heart of God for everybody to be saved. But he's given us free will. And tragically, John here draws the contrast. He says, those who believe, you'll be saved. Those who reject, you won't. Guess what? You have a choice in where you spend eternity. You don't have to pick Jesus. Yes, He pursues you, and yes, He has an incredible offer to give you, but you don't have to change. Pastor Gary reminds you that free will is something God has given all of us. You're free to do what you like, but look ahead to the end. Do you want to have a guaranteed future after you die? Do you want to know that the wrongs you've done now are forgiven? then maybe it's time to make a choice and to choose salvation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We are in John's Gospel, and we're going to finish up chapter 3. Lord willing, make it into chapter 4 tonight as well. John chapter 3. We left off right after the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He's one of the elite of Israel. He is one of the learned. He is one of the uh, recognized uh, great teachers. In, In fact, Jesus even commends him. You are one of Israel's teachers, and yet you do not understand these things that I'm saying to you. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he wants to know uh, what it is behind Jesus. He says, you know, teacher, we know that, you know, there's something different about you and that God is with you. And then Jesus moves into this conversation with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. Uh, that's not just Christianese. You know, sometimes we use fancy terms within the church and Christians talk about this and talk about that. The phrase born again is a biblical phrase here from John 3 relative to whether or not someone has not just been born physically, but been born spiritually. That's the part about being born again. That if we are born again, that means we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. We accept what he's done for us on the cross. And therefore, being born again now, it means that we're born twice, if you will. We're born once physically, and then we're born spiritually. And when you're born twice, you die once. But if you're only born once, you die twice. If you only experience physical birth... That is to say, all of us who are born, we come into the world, we pass through the birth canal of our mother, we enter into the world, we take our first breath. If you're only born once physically, then you will die twice. You will die a natural death, but you will also face an eternal death separated from God. But those who are born twice die once. You're born physically, and then you're born spiritually, you experience two kinds of birth, Then you might experience a natural death when this body fails you eventually, 
but you'll go to be with the Lord forever, and therefore you bypass that second death, the death of judgment in the lake of fire. So we go to be with the Lord. So it's an interesting thing that the Bible in actuality teaches. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. And Jesus tries to help Nicodemus understand these things. And uh, that's the conversation that we left off uh, as we read there up through verse 21. Now, starting here in verse 22 of chapter 3, it says this, After this, after the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. So, notice this verse here, verse 22, Jesus leaves. What we find is happening in, in back in chapter 2 is that Jesus is attending the Passover feast in Jerusalem. It'll be the first of three that are mentioned in the course of his public ministry, which helps us to calculate that his public ministry spanned about three years. And after Passover, he's there in Jerusalem, has a conversation with Nicodemus, and then they move just east into the Judean wilderness, where he spends some one-on-one time, some quality time with his disciples. And it says, and baptized. Now, to clarify, Jesus never baptized anybody. And we know that, because just jump ahead to chapter 4, look at the first couple of verses of chapter 4. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So, you know, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And when you read there in chapter 3, oh, Jesus went out into the Judean wilderness with his disciples and baptized. It sounds like Jesus baptized people. But then when you compare it with chapter 4, you realize that, in fact, the people baptizing were his disciples, not really Jesus. Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Now, why is that? I mean, you have to consider for just a moment what that would mean if Jesus baptized some people. Obviously, he's not going to baptize everybody. But if he baptizes some people, can you imagine the pride that you would have in your heart if you had been baptized by Jesus? I mean, what kind of a competition would that look like? You know, who baptized you? Uh, Well, just one of Jesus' disciples. Oh, which one? Uh, Thomas. Uh, Who baptized you? (laughs) Jesus. Jesus baptized me. Thomas baptized you. Wasn't Thomas the doubter? <laughs> Jesus is the Savior, you know? And so you would be playing that game like, oh, you were just baptized by Matthew. Oh, it's <laughs> a tax collector. Jesus baptized me. That's right. Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. That's right. And so, you know, of course, uh, there, there's wisdom in all of this, right? Jesus isn't baptizing anybody. It's his disciples, okay? Now, verse 23, back up here in our text. It says, now John, this is still a reference to John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Ainan near Salim, because there was plenty of water, that's a good thing, because you need that kind of when you're going to baptize, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Now, circle the location, Ainan near Salim, where is this? It is about five miles north of the Dead Sea. So this is, uh, you know, the southern part of Israel. And this would have actually been a typical journey. People coming from the northern part of Israel uh, to Jerusalem would have gone south down the Jordan River, and then they would have cut up uh, going west past Jericho up to Jerusalem. So when you come down from Jerusalem down to the region of Jericho, you're approaching, you're going down to the Dead Sea, that region. 
And this is where John the Baptist was primarily baptizing people, Ainan, near Salim, about five miles north of the Dead Sea. And uh, it says in verse 24, just to let us know that this was before John was put in prison, which would make sense because if he was in prison, he wouldn't be baptizing people. But just to clarify it, because sometimes we can be a little thick-headed. And so, you know, John tells us, by the way, he was baptizing people, but this happened before he actually got thrown into prison. And then verse 25 says that an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, unnamed, some of your Bibles have it plural, certain Jews, over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. All right, now pause here for a moment because, again, we need to clarify, what kind of baptism is this? Jesus has not yet been crucified. He hasn't died on the cross and risen from the dead. So the baptizing that we practice today is different from this form of baptism. How is it different? Because today, when we baptize people in water, we're baptizing them, we're immersing them because they're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You go under the water, signifying the death and burial. You come up out of the water, signifying a new life in Christ. And therefore, as a Christian, as a believer, you want your life to now be new in Christ. And so you, the baptism is symbolic. You're dying to the old self. You're going under the water, just like you're identifying with the death of Jesus. You're coming up out of the water. You want to live a new life for the glory of God. That's not what was happening here because Jesus hasn't even died yet. So baptism that John practiced, and for that matter, Jesus' disciples, was a baptism pointing forward to the Messiah with in mind the need for repentance. So people being baptized here, they were coming forward saying, I'm a sinner, I want to repent, I want to turn, and I look forward to Messiah. So they were being dunked in this way, okay? Now, there arose here a dispute. You have John the Baptist, he has followers. Disciples just means student, so John the Baptist has some students that he, that he is teaching, and, and they are rallying around him, and they're following him. And then you have these certain Jews who come to John the Baptist. They respectfully call him rabbi, means teacher. Rabbi, they say, that man who was with you, this is a reference to Jesus, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about. Because remember, when Jesus came to be baptized, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's professing here is Messiah. And so these singular Jew or plural Jews, whatever your translation, are coming to John the Baptist saying, that guy that you baptized in the other side of the Jordan River, there's people who are going after him now. He's baptizing more than you are. You smell a little competition going on here? It's like, you know, this isn't fair. We have a little good thing going here. We have our own little group thing. And now this guy over there, he's got more people following him. And so John the Baptist is going to take him to town here. Verse 27. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. So he uses 
language terms here, metaphors, to communicate who Jesus is and who he is in relation to Jesus. He talks here about the bride, the bridegroom, and the friend. So verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The bride in Scripture in the New Testament is a reference usually to the church. Believers in Christ belong to the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Christ, is Jesus. And then John says, the friend, this would be like the best man who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him. So John the Baptist now is referring to himself. He's like, he's like, listen, I'm not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. It's kind of like a wedding party where he is the groom and all who belong to Jesus are like the bride. I'm just the best man. And I stand to listen to what the groom says and what the groom wants. I'm just a servant for the groom. That's all I am here. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John is saying here, I can testify that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one we've all been longing for. He's the Messiah. I'm full of joy. And my ministry, for all intents and purposes, is now complete. That's what he adds there. He says, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. My joy is complete. My ministry, the reason I came to foreshadow the Christ, is complete. And then he adds there in verse 30, this is a great verse. He must become greater, I must become less. Or King James, I think, says, he must increase, and I must decrease. And he has this perspective of, listen, the focus, don't be looking at me. I'm only the one who announced the arrival of Messiah. The focus is now Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. That is a great verse for all of us in general. Lord, more of you in my life, less of me. It's a simple prayer, but it should be prayed regularly. Lord, I want more of you, and I want to die to me. I want less of me. More of you, less of me. You must increase, Lord. I must decrease. That verse, verse 30, is a prayer of surrender. That is a statement of surrender. That should be the motto of every Christian. Jesus, more of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. And then he adds there, verse 31, the one who comes from above, referring to Jesus, is above all. The one who was from the earth, probably referring to himself, and speaks as one, or rather the one from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. Okay, he's saying there's one that's from heaven and there's one just, you know, who's earthly. Jesus is divine, he's from heaven. And he says, the one who comes from heaven is above all. He, that's Jesus, testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony, which was typically true. You know, Jesus came among his own, but his own received him not. But then he adds, the man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. Now, he might be talking about himself, you know, I, for whatever it's worth, he's saying, I, you know, I certify that Jesus is legit. But I think in general, it just simply means that if you accept Jesus, if you accept his testimony and believe in him, what you're saying is that God is true. That's basically what you, if you're saying, I believe in Jesus, you're saying everything about God and everything about the Bible is true. And then he adds, for the one, this again is, he's talking about Jesus, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Very strong words here by John the Baptist. He says here again, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects, notice that, free will is a gift from God. The Bible says God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's the heart of God for everybody to be saved. But he's given us free will. And tragically, John here draws the contrast. He says, those who believe, you'll be saved. Those who reject, you won't. And in fact, if you reject Jesus, God's wrath remains on you. Now check this out. God is a holy God, and because he's holy, don't mistake the fact that God judges as some statement that he's unloving. He's not unloving. His holiness demands justice. If he were not just, then it would not be true that he was also holy. He is both holy and just, loving at the same time. But all of us who are parents understand that as a loving parent, you have to sometimes discipline your children when they do what is wrong in order to teach them the consequences. Well, there is an eternal discipline, big capital D discipline, where there's judgment one day for our sin. And here's what God is simply saying. You can either take responsibility for your own sin, and in that case, my wrath will be upon you, or you can allow my son Jesus to take your sin for you, and therefore my wrath will be on him. Now, look, folks, that is the mystery, but the beauty of the cross, where God's wrath, because he's holy and just, His wrath is required in order to judge sin. But what does he do? He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want anyone to suffer eternal consequences. He doesn't want people to go to hell. So he sends his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross. And then he basically says this. Now, if you put your faith and trust in him, my wrath will be satisfied so that it won't fall on you. It'll fall on my son. That's what the cross is about. But yet, if you don't want to believe in my son, then my wrath remains on you. So we can either have the wrath of God placed on Jesus by believing in what Christ has done for us, or we can receive his wrath ourselves. It's a no-brainer to me. Anybody else? What Christ has done for us, he wants to take the wrath on our behalf to satisfy, to appease the wrath and the judgment of God. That's God's redemptive plan for us. And that's what John is saying here. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now, into chapter 4 here, my Bible is subtitled, Jesus Talks with a Samaritan Woman here. And this is a a very tender story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Um, this dialogue that he's going to have here with this Samaritan woman. What I'd like to do is read the whole story without commenting and then come back and uh, and dig it out. So I'm going to read verse 1 down through verse 26. So uh, follow this with me. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Very interesting conversation here that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. I think among all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that John does the, I mean obviously they're they're each inspired by the Holy Spirit but John seems to do the best at least this is part of how the Holy Spirit inspires him to write with such tenderness about women John exposes the loving compassionate heart of Jesus towards women in ways that the other gospel writers just simply don't capture it's not just this story when we get to chapter 8 you remember the woman caught in adultery And Jesus has this very tender conversation with her. And that story in John 8 and this story here in John 4 are only recorded in John's gospel. These personal conversations that Jesus has with women. Now in this particular chapter, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She's not just any woman, she's a Samaritan woman. Who are the Samaritans? The Samar- There's this long-standing prejudice between Samaritans and Jews. In fact, that's why John tells us, so that we can understand here, that after he says to her, I want to drink a water, and then she responds to him and says, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And John even helps us to know in parentheses there in verse 9, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, typically. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why is that? The Samaritan people came as the result of intermarriage between the Assyrians and the Israelis. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website 
cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know